cancer is a really huge problem. Like 40% of the world's population will be diagnosed with cancer during their life. And the, the worst part about that is that half of the people who find cancer will find cancer late. And only two out of 10 people who find cancer late survive. Now, if we could find cancer early for those people, eight out of 10 would survive. I strongly believe that the, the cure for cancer is early detection. And so if we fast forward 10 years, um, about 10 million people today, every year find cancer late. At Ezra right now, we find cancer in about 10% of our members, possible cancer. It's not often confirmed or it's pre-cancer. So for us to find cancer early in those 10 million people, probably need to screen like 100 to 200 million uh, a year and to give ourselves the best chance at finding those people for whom the scan will really add a ton of value because we found cancer. It's not boring. This story is about working hard even when it seems silly. It's not boring. And for the people trying to make crazy things happen. It's that shot of optimism, yeah, yeah. It's not boring. Not boring is for the optimists. Take a little shot of optimism. Take a little shot of optimism. Let's just zoom out and take a little shot of optimism. Emmy, welcome to Not Boring Founders. Thank you, Chris. We're here. So this is a fun and a new one for us. And I think I want to do this more as kind of follow-ups, but wrote a piece about Ezra a couple of weeks ago. The audience reception was phenomenal. Like it's very clear that people want a way to beat cancer. And, and I think that the main feedback that I got was one, like, amazing that this technology exists, but two, the price point is actually very affordable, particularly with what you've done with something like this, when it's anything medical and I go into it, I'm always worried that people who, who know what they're talking about way more than me are going to dunk on it. And the reception was like 99.9% positive, which was cool to see. So I'm excited to dig in even deeper with you today. Yeah, me too. So to get started, I mean, in case people haven't read the 8,000 words that, that I wrote on Ezra, what do you do? So, Barry, founder, CEO of Ezra, what we do is where we're trying to uh, beat cancer through early detection. And the way we do that is through a full body MRI that uh, takes about 30 minutes now. We, we got an FDA clearance for a new AI that's enabled us to decrease scan time. So the scan takes 30 minutes. It's powered by AI on the scanning front, on the interplasia front, on the report generation. And then you get your scan and five days later, we tell you whether you have cancer or not across the entire body. That's the scan in, in a nutshell, and it costs just uh, over $1,000. Yeah, I, I did my scan, and I did the 60-minute one because I think I missed it by about two weeks. I had to do it ahead of the piece, and, yep. and the piece came out kind of when, when Flash was announced. Pooja did it afterwards, my wife, and yep. did the 30-minute scan and said it was Great. like the easiest thing in the world, like kind of in, out, luckily cancer-free. But it's just a yeah, really nice peace of mind. One of the things that I was thinking is like, does it seem too fast? Like, are people like, are you going to miss something here if you do it? Like, how do you build that trust? What's feedback been? Yeah. Feedback's been great, actually. So we have about 30,000 members on our mailing list who are people who signed up for an extra scan. Maybe they didn't get a scan in the end, but kind of they're in our database. And we sent out an email blast to everyone when we launched Ezra Flash. And I was looking at the responses from folks and everyone was like, amazing. I wanted to get an extra scan, but the price point was a problem. Um, excited to get a, uh, get, get a scan. And we launched it June 1st and we grew 70% month over month in the month of June as a result of launching that scan. So the reception has been great. 
we have gotten a ton of questions around, hey, is it the same scan? Is it of the same quality? Is there anything different about it? And so on. And so we've had to do a bit of work to emphasize that thanks to this AI that was developed, the image quality is identical to the 60-minute scan. The only significant difference is that we remove spine in the 30-minute scan in order to kind of condense scanning time even further. And because spine is not really that relevant when it comes to cancer screen. Like you don't have cancer in the spine unless you have cancer in a primary organ and the flash scan does cover all the primary organs. So reception has been fantastic and we're now on our way working to make it even faster, uh, probably 15 minutes in two years. Amazing. The, the fact that you're using AI for something that is like so potentially beneficial for people, obviously I've been working on this for a while. Now everybody's adding AI into their product. What was the process to get here? Like how long have you been working on this? How do you figure out that AI was going to help here? Talk to me about your relationship with Dan Sodixon, because I think that's really interesting. Tell me, tell me everything about incorporating AI here. Great question. So we've actually been at this for five years. I can't believe it's, it's been this long, but I, uh, I started Ezra in like 2017. We, we incorporated and raised our seed round in 2018. And we have since been working on AI before kind of AI was even cool to a, to a large extent. The thesis behind Ezra from day one was that MRI as an imaging modality is incredible for screening because it doesn't expose it to radiation. It uses resonance because it's high sensitivity, relatively high specificity. It's just an, a really amazing modality, but it, it is a slow type of scan. Therefore, it's an expensive modality. And so the thesis from day one was, hey, I think we can use AI to make MRI super fast, super affordable. And that's when I started Ezra, that was the thinking. It took us two years to build our first AI and, and get it cleared by the FDA. That was our prostate AI that assisted uh, radiologists to when they read MRI scans of the prostate. It then took us 12 months to build and deliver our second AI, which is Ezra Flash in, in production. And I think our third AI that we're, we're working on right now, it's going to take us about eight months. So we're kind of getting faster and faster and faster at building, getting FDA clearance and shipping AIs. And is the FDA on their end getting faster at it as well? Like, are they just seeing a lot more AI-based products? Are they more familiar and just kind of understand it? Like, why is that piece getting faster? The FDA has actually, I've been very impressed with the people at the FDA. Like, they have really good biomedical engineers who review the type of AIs that we develop and submit. And they've been relatively fast at kind of accepting our applications, telling us whether they need more data or information, analyzing data, and then issuing clearance. Generally, the key is making sure that when you submit the data to the FDA to show that your medical device is safe and effective, that you submit data that is comprehensive. Like in our case, our AI is used on a screening asymptomatic population. So we had to have U.S. census representation of the population in, in the data set that was submitted. Our AI enhances images. Some of those images will be images with cancer in there. So we had to submit data to show that if in people who had cancer, we enhanced the images and we didn't erase the follow to your water. And then REI is applied across multiple manufacturers of MRI machines. So we had to have a distribution of data that spans across the, the large manufacturers. There's a lot of work in AI development in healthcare that goes into just the data part, more so than the uh, models themselves. Will the AI replace radiologists? Like when someone's going to Ezra right now, could you just put me in the tube and then like the AI takes over and tells me whether or not I have cancer? Like where do you see those lines and where do you see that evolving over time? 
Yeah, so for now, at least, I think uh, uh, a radiologist will be replaced by radiologists who use AI as opposed to just AI. I don't see a near future in which AIs are fully replacing radiologists, not as much from a, because of a kind of technical limitation, but because of regulatory and kind of compliance limitations. You know, where does malpractice fall if you do the wrong job, if it's just an AI analysis? If it's an AI plus radiologist, it's a little bit more clear. Um, so I think the technology will get good enough to be able to automate most of the work that a radiologist does. I'm not sure the healthcare system is prepared embrace a fully automated kind of AI reap. And so our focus is to take each of the call centers for an Ezra scan. The scan itself, the radiology time and the report uh, generation times so and internal operations time, and use AI to decrease the R cost space across those cost centers and then pass cost savings to consumers. I do envision a future in which AI can be used without a radiologist in the loop for change map detection. So for example, if you back ape done a scan and then you commit for another Ezra scan in a year, I see a future in which we're just using AI to analyze whether there are any significant differences in your subsequent scans. And if there are, that's when we do a kind of more high resolution scan and then put it in for our radiology. Yeah, when I talked to Dan Zedix and the way that he described it, it was kind of this idea of induced demand that you just be able to do so many more screenings and AI could help with a lot of that stuff that never would have happened before. And then when it gets serious, you bring it to the human radiologist. And so it just increases the amount of screening that you can do, speeds up the time, lowers the cost, but that human is still, is still there. Absolutely. And, and actually we're working on this $500 scan that we think we'll be able to launch in about two years. And this scan will be a 10 minute scan uh, that is focused on just change map detection, where the change will be fully done by AI, like the change analysis. So to do it in 10 minutes, are you... Like I've gotten my full scan and then I come in and it just looks at areas that were problematic before, or is it just lower? It's just doing everything, but at even lower resolution, the AI fills in the gaps. So actually what got us to 30 minutes is not what's going to get us to, uh, to 15. And so when you now go into an imaging facility to get a scan, Ezra scan or otherwise, uh, the scanner has no prior information about it. It starts from zero. It acquires whatever protocol was designed for that particular scan. What we're working on is a concept of memory. So. When you're going into an MRI machine, because we have priors about you, we can use that as memory in order to only acquire the data that is necessary for us to be able to detect a change or do a diff essentially between the, the subsequent scans. That means that, and likes to say that Sodexon, we were escaping the tyranny of image quality because like, if we're just focused on a change map, we're not going to acquire sequences that radiologists will look, look at, will acquire sequences that an AI will look at in order to determine whether the change is significant. The change is significant, we will then bring you back in for a high-res typical scan that a radiologist can read. If the change is not significant, we'll just be able to tell you, hey, nothing to be concerned about, see it here. And in that case, what happens if I've developed a new cancer somewhere else that you, you can't do change management detection on? Does it just not catch that? Like, will I get a false sense of security because it's only focused on the areas where there might've been a problem before? How, what's the right way to think about that? Yeah, so that, that, that is actually the key question and it's the key area to solve for in, in doing kind of a change map protection. And so to solve for that, what we've been doing from day one is we created this scoring system. We call it an E-score, an Ezra score, where for every single finding in every single member from day one, I've ranked it on a score of one to five. One being just informative, five being 
emergent cancer, you need to do something about it immediately. And we've created this kind of really rich data set of e-scores. We then created a study, a clinical trial, where we call every person for whom we find possible cancer to see what, whether it was indeed cancer and what the results were. And then we enrich our data set with that. So our um, ability to build AIs that to change map detection will essentially be our ability to predict an, a score, an e-score change from essentially two to three, three to four, four to five. By doing that, we become kind of agnostic to organ. We're literally just looking, hey, this person across the entire body, have they had a change from an e-score one or two to an e-score three, four or five? And if yes, that's how we're going to push you towards the next step, which is to get a higher risk cap. That's fascinating. So I guess talking about maybe false negatives brings up the big question that everybody has around false positives. We went into it a bunch in, in the piece, but yep. can you explain in kind of like Eli five terms, why the false positive issue is such a big issue and, and how you're addressing it. Absolutely. So I'll actually take one step back and talk a little bit about how you think about accuracy in a screening. And there are two measurements that he uses. He uses a measurement called sensitivity, which is how sensitive is this test for the disease that it's looking at? So a test with 100% sensitivity will mean that if 100 people with cancer get the test, 100 people will have a positive result in the test. Specificity is the second measure, and it's the measure of how specific is the exam to the disease you're looking at. So in other words, I found something, but is the something that I have found the disease that I'm looking for in this case, uh, cancer. And so the, a good way to look about it, uh, to think about it is an, uh, uh, an alarm for a car. You know, if it's really sensitive, you will catch a really burglar, but you will also go off and the motorcycle is by, you know? And so. When you tune sensitivity up, specificity goes down and vice versa. So designing a screening test is a function of finding the right blend of sensitivity and specificity. So with MRI, sensitivity is really, really high. It's like we're talking mid-90s sensitivity. It catches everything. And not just Ezra, but MRI in general. That comes at the cost of specificity. Um, so specificity in MRI across the organs we look at probably around 85%. So it has an inherent 15% false positive rate. And so when you, uh, when you speak with doctors, they go like, well, 15% false positive rate that will lead to unnecessary follow-up anxiety and so on. And so we've done a lot of work mitigating that. And we do a number of things in order to address the risk of those unnecessary follow-ups and so on. The first one and probably most important is the Ezra scan has inherent follow-up on any finding because it's a direct consumer membership with a scan that you should get every year. So 90 plus percent of Ezra findings don't need any kind of follow-up because you have implicit follow-up and you get a scan again next year. Sorry to interrupt you, but this is one of the things that blew my mind the most that you could have certain kind of like very early stage cancers know about it. And even if that's the case, you're totally fine waiting a year to do the next screen to see if it's changed and moved. Like, can you unpack that a little bit? Because that blew my mind. I thought that if you found anything, it's like, all right, go in, get it taken out. I thought so too before I got into this space. But actually, a couple of interesting examples of prostate cancer in, in men. Most times, prostate cancers are really, really slow growing. And you are better off not doing anything about it, just monitoring. Because if the man is 65 and has prostate cancer, something else might kill him than than the prostate cancer before the prostate cancer does. Yeah. So the concept of active surveillance has become kind of quite big in prostate, especially because the prostate cancer shouldn't be 
touched most of the time. They should just be monitored. Before Ezra, there was no way to easily monitor the prostate cancer. You had to do a prostate biopsy, a PSA blood test, and so on, very unpleasant procedures. With Ezra, you're in and out 20 minutes, the prostate MRI, you can correct it over time. So um, those cancers, you definitely can wait and see and see how they progress. Another example is uh, IPMNs or interpapillary mucosal neoplasm, or essentially cysts that appear in the pancreas. And there's some literature to show that people with IPMNs are more likely to develop pancreatic cancer. But if you found an IPMN, you don't yet have pancreatic cancer. You are just more likely to have pancreatic cancer in the future. And pancreatic cancer is especially bad because you generally only find it when you're symptomatic. And if you're symptomatic, it means that it expands the liver, maybe other organs, but kind of it's metastatic. If you're an endocrine and we find an IPMN, then you can do a scan every six months to make sure that you catch pancreatic cancer as early as it happens so that you can uh, have a better chance at, at treating it. There are some types of cancer where, you know, it is really important to do something about it as soon as you find it. Ovarian cancer is a, a prime example of that. Ovarian cancer can go from stage zero to stage four within a year. And so part of what we're doing at Ezra is developing these single organ scans that are more affordable so that a woman who has the BRCA gene mutation, who has a higher risk of ovarian cancer can do a $700 scan every six months and thus giving herself the best ability to find ovarian cancer. So, so going back to your original question, you know, uh, incidental findings, longitudinal monitoring is the key to not following up on all of these things. On top of that, we do a number of things. We use AI to generate reports to explain that these things that you don't have anxiety when you drop the report in your YSR dashboard. The AI also gives a score to an e-score to these findings that I, I talked about earlier. And we only recommend follow-up on e-scores four and five. E-scores three just monitored. E-scores one and two are just um, observed over time. And then finally, our MRI scanning protocol is a, what's called a multi-parametric scanning protocol that uses different types of sequences in order to increase the specificity of the scan. And so all of these things brought together mean that uh, we've mitigated most of the incidental findings. And as a result, our false positive rate is actually really low. We're, we're going to publish a study in Q4 of this year on our specificity, but it's looking like it's going to be lower than the typical screening procedures that you might already have approved with guidelines in the market. That's amazing. So if that's, if the false positive one is, is kind of the one big hesitation, the other that you're working actively on bringing down is price, but I guess the other kind of lever that you have there is getting insurance companies to pay for this for people. What's the process like to get to payers paying for screens? So I would imagine if they can be convinced that it catches things early, it saves them a ton of money down the line. Absolutely. It saves money and it improves outcomes. So payers generally are fans of screening modalities, like payers cover mammograms, colonoscopies, skin checks, et cetera. To get there, you need to have the right price point. And based on our kind of calculations, the right price point is $500. And then you need to have the data to show that your test has high sensitivity, reasonably high specificity so that uh, you show that you're, you're able to find cancers without too many false positives. And so from day one, we've been collecting data with the goal of ultimately having a $500 scan and a sensitivity and specificity paper that we can go to payers with and be like, 
you know, if you pull together all of our organs, the incidence is really high across all these organs for cancer. We have a $500 test scan that addresses these organs. We have high sensitivity and specificity. Let's work together to this to our populations with a focus initially probably on high risk. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. How do you figure all this out? So, I mean, I think your story is, is fascinating, but like to say to, that you're collecting the data from day one, that you knew you needed to get the price down to $500. You started as a software entrepreneur, you know, made the transition into like one of these huge, hard world-changing problems. How'd that transition happen? Like what got you into this and what lessons are there for other people who over the past decade in the bull market have made a bunch of money in software and want to go solve something really, really hard? The background, very quickly, originally from Romania, I studied applied mathematics and computer science in university. While at the uni, I started a software company, very different space than Ezra in the advertising technology space, uh, became one of the largest video ad servers in Europe, was acquired by an ad tech company in New York City, and that's how I ended up in, in the US. My motivation behind Ezra is that I'm personally at high risk of cancer, so myself for skin cancer, I've had cancer in my family. Sadly, my mother passed away from cancer, so it was because she found cancer late. And so I've always been very interested in the space. And many years ago, this is, I think, 2015, I was volunteering for a nonprofit in Romania who built hospices that care for cancer patients. And in being involved with them, I, I realized that the main reason why people end up in a hospice due to cancer is because they found cancer. And so decided to try to... Uh, you know, solve that problem. And I spent about 18 months doing research, but I cycled through about a dozen ideas on how you could go about screening for cancer from like liquid biopsies to DNA-based nanobots that you put in your bloodstream to all sorts of like crazy ideas. And I very much took the scientific method. I would just like read something, have a hypothesis, read the papers about that topic, meet with scientists and 11 times out of 12, but the full body more idea was literally the 12th idea. Uh, I would meet with scientists and they would be like, oh yeah, that's not going to work. Or it works, it's going to work in like 10, 15, 20 years. Don't go down that path. And I just ran this process both times. And, and actually the idea, I don't know if I've ever mentioned, but the idea for Ezra came on my honeymoon. I was, on my honeymoon, I remember it, uh, reading papers. My wife was right next to me and I was reading this paper that was comparing MRI with CT, ultrasound, and other types of imaging modalities for the purpose of screening. And I think it was for prostate cancer. And it was concluding overwhelmingly that MRI is just the better modality. And so I turned to my wife and I was like, hey, if I could do a full body MRI that was like relatively affordable, uh, would you get one? And, you know, it's great for cancer around the body. And she was like, absolutely, I'd do that. And so that was the seed idea for Ezra. And then the rest was just figuring out whether... AI could be employed to get there and then just going through the process of executing on it. What was the moment that you kind of got the confidence? So you had the MRI idea on your honeymoon, dug in, dug in on the AI. Like what was the point at which you're like, all right, cool. Everything makes sense. I'm going to go do this. Yeah. So I actually built a prototype for prostate um, uh, where there was a, a public data set uh, put together by the NIH called the Prostate X data set. And I literally downloaded the Prostate X data set and started building a model to see whether you could find prostate lesions using AI within that data set. And this was maybe 2017 or so. And it like worked so well that I was like, this, this, you can do this. And, um, uh, 2018, I, I let teens who, who uh, and bought my company and, uh, 
raise our seed round with that trusted AI prototype as the proof that this can work. We then launched the scan, I think, trusted exam in January of 2019. And then we launched our full body late uh, 2019. Do you think, and this is probably a case by case and there's no right one answer, but in your specific case, do you think that you had an easier or harder time starting Ezra because you came from the outside and weren't a radiologist or an oncologist or something from kind of within the medical community? I think it was easier to start as an outsider because I didn't have any preconceived notions of what is possible or not, or doable or not. Or if, I think people within the industry would have said, oh, MRI, false positives, don't do it. It's going to be so bad. It's not. Fast forward, you know, four or five years later, probably going to have a false positive rate that's better than what is expected from a screen without. And so uh, I think people in the industry would have just taken it for granted that it can't be done. So, and so I think it's actually useful to come from the outside, provided that if you're doing something as technical as what we're doing at Ezra, you have the kind of ability to build something to prove that it can work. An interesting counter example is my very first idea with Ezra when I was going through the 12 ideas, 12 approaches was liquid biopsies, like using well, DNA sequencing of, of DNA fragments in blood to identify cancer. And I had this kind of um, concern that the sensitivity would never be very high because if you have a two millimeter lesion in your body, it's going to shed so little DNA in the bloodstream that you're going to literally be trying to find a needle in a haystack. And so I met with a, a scientist at Caltech who was like, I don't think we're ever going to get the sensitivity to be what, it, what you need it to be for screening. Now we're seeing that fast forward from companies like Grail and others, hand cancer screening uh, as uh, liquid biopsies are not really showing great promise from a sensitivity standpoint. They might be great from a specificity standpoint, so paired well with the full body MRI, but not as standalone screening examples. And so um, I think it just takes a lot of effort to go down the right path. And that effort is all about kind of reading all the research, doing the work. And then hoping that you chose the right direction because this stuff is very Yeah. Now, four or five years later, you have a great team, a killer scientific advisory board, like kind of everything that you want expertise wise, I guess, like if you have the drive and you've done the research and you have that outsider's perspective, that's core, but you also need people who, you know, have experience around you. How do you go about building that team? How do you go about figuring out what you need when you're not coming from inside the community and who you need? What's that process like? Yeah, so we um, we actually we have an incredible team, and our, our chief scientist, Dr. Dan Sorekson, is the inventor of parallel imaging and MRI. Which main reason why MRI scans are passed today is because in, in the late '90s, Dan invented what's essentially, I think you said it in, in your article, GPUs for scanning, you know, as opposed to CPUs for scanning. So, kind of being able to scan uh, multiple lines of case space in parallel in in MRI. How did I go about doing that? I literally would go on Google Scholar, search for the best um, papers, like more cited papers in whatever I was interested in, read the papers. And if I liked the paper, I would email the scientist. And I, I think I emailed hundreds of people. Uh, just be like, hey, I read your paper, really loved it. Could we do so for something? Our very first advisor was incredible gentleman, Dr. O. Zakin, who uh, happened to be the head of body MRI at Memorial Sloan Kettering and Cancer Center. And he was a prostate expert. I went to him and I showed him our prostate prototype. And he was like, oh, this is great. This is amazing. Like, you know, would like to be involved. He became our first advisor. And then he introduced me to a bunch of others. And 
and then kind of the word got out. And then I actually met that at Sodixon at an event uh, I, I spoke at that was organized by um, Evan at LDV Capital. And we were both talking about imaging. And after he spoke and after the event, I, w I went to him and I was like, hey, I'm doing this thing about MRIs, da, 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 which is like being involved. And um, he liked what we do and he became an advisor. He was an advisor for a while. And then we really dialed in on AI and, and developing really interesting things. So he decided to join uh, as our chief scientist. And he's now part-time at Ezra and part-time at Wayne. Very cool. I guess to kind of end here, I started the piece that I wrote kind of zooming out into the future and like what the world could look like when scans are instantaneous and you have AI kind of helping to analyze it and it becomes like ultra longitudinal where you're just, you're just getting measured all of the time. What do you think is a realistic, you know, scenario for the future? When is cancer just eliminated? What does it take to get there? What does that world look like? Paint, paint a little bit of that. Cancer is a really huge problem. Like 40% of the world's population will be diagnosed with cancer during their life. And the, the worst part about that is that half of the people who find cancer will find cancer late. And only two out of 10 people who find cancer late survive. Now, if we could find cancer early for those people, eight out of 10 would survive. I strongly believe that the, the cure for cancer is early detection. And so we fast forward 10 years, um, about 10 million people today, every year find cancer, <clears throat> cancer late. At Ezra right now, we find cancer in about 10% of our members, possible cancer. It's not often confirmed or it's pre-cancer. So for us to find cancer early in those 10 million people, probably need to screen like 100 to 200 million uh, a year and to give ourselves the best chance at finding those people for whom the scan will really add a ton of value because we found cancer. So fast over 10 years, I would hope that we are well on our way to uh, be screening tens, hundreds of millions of people with or scan or scans. I think the scan will evolve and expand beyond the imaging facility within a decade. And I'm really excited about Ezra playing a part in that. What kind of infrastructure needs to get built out for that to happen? Because I'd imagine if you had 100 million people coming in for, uh, for screenings at this point, the system couldn't handle that, even if they're like a one minute scan. So like what, what needs to happen? The key thing that needs to happen, and I, I'm, a bit, I'm a firm believer in imaging as one of the key modalities to screen for cancer. I, I think it will be, the future will be multimodality. There will be some other types of tests and so on, but I think imaging will be core. To make imaging possible, we will need to take imaging out of the imaging facility. And so I think the first step will be, you get your ESRO scan every few years in an imaging facility. And then your subsequent annual scans are initially done in the, uh, in your primary care physician's office. And instead of it being like a big MRI machine that needs helium for cooling and you know, shielding for the strength of the magnet and so on, you'll be going into like a very small, um, uh, you know, super low uh, field MRI machine in your physician's office. Like uh, Hyperfine is an example with like they built very low res essentially MRI scanners that on their own could not really screen for cancer, but paired with the concept of memory and things that I've touched on earlier could potentially become interesting. So that's, uh, that's one. And then ultimately, this is kind of only the way 2030, 2040 vision of the future. I think we can bring the uh, screening into the home and you might have the Ezra scan paired with sensors that you can wear or have in the home that could kind of 
in the background be monitoring your uh, you for for cancer. Um, and that's a little bit speculative, and there's a lot of basic research that needs to be done in order to prove that that can be possible. But Dan Dan has actually published some work on that, and is is working at a research level on some of those directions, and they're showing progress. That said, do not wait until 2040 to to get your scan. I did it. Like I said, my wife Pooja did it. I'm both very happy that we did, and I think probably would have actually even been happier that we did if we if we had found something. Thankfully, we didn't. But where can people go to learn more, to potentially book a scan, all of that? Yeah, so we are live in 16 facilities across five cities. We're in New York, San Francisco, LA, Miami, and Vegas. In uh, New York City, we're in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens. Uh, people can go and book at Ezra Co. And uh, they can also use Packy 150 for, uh, for a discount to, uh, to the scan. And uh, we have multiple types of scans. So you can get our 31 scan, which is 3050. You can get our full body scan, which includes spine, which is 1950. You can get our full body plus, which includes a low dose chest CT um, and coronary calcium uh, screening. Uh, we also have single organ scans. So you can just get a lung scan or a big scan. So we, we kind of try to make it affordable too. Awesome. Well, as I wrote in the piece, as I've told you, I'm a huge, huge fan of what you're doing. The experience was actually kind of lovely. I love my Ezra PJs and having an hour with my, with, with my I phone and everything else. No? Oh, please. Push wore them to bed last night. They're, they're incredibly comfy PJs. So if, for no other reason, go get your scan to get the pajamas. But honestly, I'm, I'm thrilled that you exist, that we got a chance to meet. And thank you so much for, for coming on today. Thank you, Becca. This is fantastic.